The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Joe Napote, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Ely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Another five-minute mystery. Our story takes place in Green's Gap, a small town in the Southern Cavern District. Green's Gap Hospital, Dr. Melville speaking. Doctor, doctor, there's been an accident out at Echo Cavern. Accident? What kind of accident? Two men were exploring and they got lost last night. One's unconscious. You better come quick before he's dead. I hope you know how to get out to Echo Cavern, Len. Well, with the job of being town constable and ambulance driver, I reckon I know all there is to know about these parts. Ever been in the cavern, then? Once, Doc Melville, when I was a boy. Nearly got my hide tanned off by my paw. Echo Cavern's a mite treacherous place. You mean it's easy to get lost in it? Not only that, Doc. It's that cavern gas carbine, mm, something. You mean carbon dioxide? Yeah, that's it. All of a sudden, you run into some of that stuff, and before you know it, Bean, you're out. Still, people seem to be going uh, exploring in there. More fools to be. I wouldn't go into them caverns, at least till I was not without a dog. A dog? What for? Well, if a dog keels over, then you know the gas is collecting. I'm afraid, Mr. Gaddy, your friend is dead. Oh, poor Patsy. It wasn't from the gas, was it, Doc? That's what it looks like to me. Why'd you go into that cavern anyway? Patsy asked me to. We'd never seen a cave before. How far did you go in? Well, it didn't seem very far, but all of a sudden we lost our way. Where was that? Well, how do I know whereabouts it was if we was lost? We tried to trace our way back, but it was no use. Patsy started to get scared. It's kind of funny to see a big guy like that get scared. Yeah, he is rather big, isn't he? Yeah, six foot four. The mob used to call us Mutt and Jeff. And then what happened? Well, I was a little scared myself, but we stuck together. You know, walking in the dark with only my flash from the car. All of a sudden, Pat's keeled over. From the gas? Yeah, that's what I figured. His head hit on a rock, and I guess that just about finished him off. I suppose you reckon yourself pretty lucky, mister. Yeah, sure. I figure it's because I'm only five foot three that I got out of there alive. Gas must have been just about a foot over my head. Yeah, and what do you think about that, Doc Melville? I think you better arrest Mr. Gotti for the murder of his friend Patsy. What was the flaw in Gotti's story? Do you know it? In a moment, we'll hear from Lem and Dr. Melville.
And now, let's see whether you're as observant as Lem and the doctor. Hey, copper, let me put my hands down. They're tired. When you're in Green Gap's jail, not before. I don't get it. It was a good story. I still can't figure out how you found out. Lem tells me they used to take dogs in the cavern because the gas is heavier than air. It collects on the floor. If you really meant gas, you would have keeled over first, before your pal Patsy. Well, what do you know? I tell you, nowadays in this murder racket, you need a college education. Another five-minute mystery. This five-minute mystery featured the voices of Rhonda Groves Young, Randy Zimmerman, Sean Cantwell, and yours truly, Tom Sumner. Stay tuned to the Tom Sumner Program for future mini-mysteries. The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Show Oh yeah Hey, welcome back everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour, uh, Dr. Lisa Jones-Engel is the Senior Science Advisor on Primate Experimentation with PETA. And we're going to talk about primate experimentation. And uh, she joins me by phone. Good morning, Lisa. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you very, very much for having me. What do we mean when we talk about primate experimentation? This is different than rats in a maze. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, primate experimentation is, is an absolute, it's, it's a disaster, and, we, and it needs to stop. And, you know, I think that there have been more than a million monkeys have been ripped from Asia and Africa and South America. They've experienced unspeakable horrors. They've been boxed up, and they've, they're shipped around the world. They're tossed in the labs. They're tortured. They're killed. Billions of taxpayer dollars have been wasted. Shot into and space. With the horrors. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, Rashad. Exactly. You know, the, the horrors for the animals, the, the waste of taxpayer dollars, and the utter failure to provide successful vaccines and meaningful treatments for, for humans. This is the reality of monkey experimentation. Are, are there just absolutely no victories in, in the, the research that's been done that would warrant continuing with the practice? There are no victories that warrant continuing the practice. Yeah, full stop on that one. Because I think what people, many of the things that people don't understand is that the, the victories aren't, aren't really victories. It's, let's think about this. There have been, since the, the early 1980s with the emergence of the HIV pandemic, that's when the National Primate Research Center really kind of emerged onto the scene here in the U.S. And at that time, these primate centers, which are spread around seven different states in the U.S., they said to the government, to the National Institutes of Health, they said, give me lots of money, give me lots of monkeys, and I will give you an HIV vaccine. And here we are, 45 years later, a million-plus monkeys dead, billions of dollars spent, 
five vaccines that were developed in macaques. And if we want, if we want to go into details of that, I'm happy to talk about why that was so um, such a boondoggle. But five vaccines for HIV that were developed in macaques that supposedly cured HIV in macaques all went on to human trials. All five of those trials failed in humans. So what we cure, quote-unquote, in macaques, in monkeys, it doesn't translate to humans. And that's, that's what that, I mean, I'm talking about HIV right now, but the same can be said for Alzheimer's and cancer and cardiovascular disease and, and diabetes. What works in monkeys doesn't translate to humans, and there are so many reasons why. Did I read correctly, Lisa, that at one time you worked at one of these facilities? You you did read that correctly. I have. I, it leads me to. I grew up at the uh, time uh, biomedical. I I wanted to ask what attracted you to it to begin with, and then what was it about it that repelled you and and caused you to to leave and to do the work you're doing now. So this, the, the, so my career has straddled two worlds. It's straddled the primate sanctuary world and the primate biomedical world, which is a really odd place for anyone to be. But it began that way because, I, you know, back in, I was 17, 1983, and I was actually working in Borneo with Barute Galticas at an orangutan um, rehabilitation project there. Barute was one of the, Ruthie Galdikas, Jane Goodall, Diane Fossey, these were the three folks that Louis Leakey put out in the field to work with our closest human relatives, the apes, the, the orangutans, the chimpanzees, and gorillas. I was very fortunate. I was able to work with Brute for several months. In addition to working with her with the orangutans, I was also following these wild macaques in the forest, these small-bodied, beautiful monkeys. You know, I was young. Um, my first exposure was to, to rehabilitation, to helping wild animals go back into the forest. I continued then to work for a few years um, in the sanctuary community in Africa and in, in Asia. And I got to a point where I realized, you know what, I wanted, I wanted more experience, more, more academic credentials. So I went back, I got a PhD, and part of my job during my PhD was to Look at how infectious diseases move between monkeys, macaques. I'll keep saying macaques because macaques are the, they're the super monkey of the world. But I was looking at how diseases move between macaques and humans throughout Asia. And by that time, even before I'd gone for my PhD, I had started, I had dipped my toe into the primate biomedical world. I was working at a laboratory in upstate New York with chimpanzees. And when I was there, my mentor said to me, if you're going to use, if we, the, the, the scientific we, if we're going to use primates in biomedical research, if we're going to keep them in these actually horrific conditions, you know, no matter how nice we would try to make the cage, the cage is still a cage. The cage is a metal cage that's tiny, the animal's in there by itself. But Jim Mahoney said, if you're going to do that, you need to make darn sure that the animal welfare is at the highest that you can possibly bring it, and that the science that you are doing with this, these animals, that this science is impeccable. So 
that always resonated with me for, for years. And so as I was looking during my dissertation work at how diseases are moving back and forth between people in Asia, between the, the monkeys and, and humans, you know, I discovered that things that we had, infections that we had been scared about in the laboratory, things like herpes B and tuberculosis, those infections, those diseases were not being transmitted in the wild between monkeys and humans. It was only happening in the lab. And I, I, I wanted to understand that more. And so when I was offered a job right after getting my, my PhD in biological anthropology at the Washington National Primate Research Center, and part of what I ex- expected to do was to help this, this primate research center to better characterize their monkey models, to also better understand the monkeys themselves, because I believe that if, if the technicians who are working with these animals day after day, if they really understood how extraordinary these monkeys were in the wild, the relationships that they have with each other, their ability to find food in the forest, the way that they move about the forest, if the technicians knew this, every day when they came up to the cage, they would see that monkey as the the individual as the being, the person that they really are. And then for the scientists, I would help them understand the the type of infections that these monkeys can pick up in the, the wild, the type of infections they could pick up in the laboratory. And that's because if you're using a, a model, an animal model, or actually a mathematical model, any type of model, your model is only as good as it is well characterized, meaning if you don't know what went into your model, you can't know what comes out of it when you when you manipulate your model. That was my job and what I found at the Washington National Primate Research Center and these other primate facilities was that there were unintended infections like tuberculosis and MRSA and valley fever and Chagas and salmonella, and campylobacter, immune retroviruses, infections that compromise the monkey's immune system, and infections that the, the experimenters themselves simply weren't aware of. So when they were taking their experimental vaccines or their experimental treatment and injecting them into these, these monkeys, and then pulling out the bits and pieces, the blood samples, the tissue biopsies, um, the, the scans. The experimenters actually didn't know whether the results they were seeing in that monkey's immune system in their body were the results of their experimental manipulation or experiments in, or results of these unintended, unrecognized infections. And in the end, that means that your model was lousy. You couldn't trust your model. Your model was misleading. Your model was slowing down science. And for me, that violated that fundamental tenet that I began with, which was the science had to be impeccable. The welfare had to be the highest that it could be. Both of those things fail in the primate biomedical community. And when I could no longer ignore that, I left. I wasn't going to be a part of it anymore. More about primate experimentation with Dr. Lisa Jones Engel from PETA. Straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed. It's a robocall. Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My Robocall Crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More about primate experimentation with Dr. Lisa Jones Engel from PETA. Straight ahead. Why were were some of these um, diseases more contagious in the lab than in the wild? Is it because in the lab you're trying to create an environment where disease will spread to more readily combat it? No. Even though that that would be a good hypothesis. Well, um, I, I'm, I, you know, I'm just thinking out loud here, Lisa. I don't have no, any I, knowledge or experience, but I, I, I'm trying to, you know, speculate or guess as to why it would be different in a controlled environment than a non-controlled environment. Because that controlled environment is so horrifically toxic for the monkeys. So macaques, and, and I'm going to keep coming back to macaques, because macaques are these, these small-bodied monkeys that, that come from Asia. They are... They're ubiquitous. They're, they're everywhere in Asia, and their success has actually made them very visible to the, the primate biomedical community. So they, for decades, they're the ones that have been rounded up from the forests of Asia and dropped over and dropped in the cages here. But you're, you're on to something there. So in the wild, if you leave the monkey alone, you know, if, if you are not trapping it, if you are not dropping it into small wire bags or, or wooden boxes or, or clubbing it and beating it as you're trying to, you know, drag it down from a sleeping tree, if you leave that monkey alone, the, any of the naturally occurring viruses and bacteria and, and fungi that they may have been exposed to, they can actually keep, keep in check. Their immune systems are strong. They're robust. I, I describe the cacs as almost like bomb-proof in the wild. You can do just about anything to them, and they can bounce back. But if you take that, that animal and you strip them from their, their social group, you strip them from their infants, from their friends, you put them in a cage the size of your lower kitchen cabinet, you restrict their diet to the same thing every day, uh, a monkey biscuit, you, you take out every single bit of control that they have over their environment, every bit of comfort, every bit of challenge, every chance for companionship. And what you do is you destroy that animal. You destroy their brain, psychologically, emotionally, and you destroy their immune system. You stress them out so intensely that their body just comes undone. You know, and you know, we see in, in the, the laboratories that these, these monkeys have chronic diarrhea. They, they pull their hair out from stress. They spin around in the cage. They, they bite their, their own hands and feet. They poke themselves in the eye. They are so emotionally, mentally, and physically destroyed that their immune systems look nothing like a normal immune system. And that means that these these pathogens that they naturally carry or that they're exposed to when, during capture or during the monkey farming time or during transport or even from the, you know, the caregivers, the, the technicians and the, the staff in the laboratory, their immune systems can't handle it. They basically 
they just they, they, they run wild through the monkeys. And so it, it has nothing to do the the captive environment sets these animals up for failure. And that means it sets up when, science for failure. When these uh macaques are um being wrangled for uh, capture and and detention in bioresearch facilities. Is it your opinion, Lisa, that it's it's the stress that, that damages their immune system, or are there some naturally immunizing agents in the wild, and should we be looking for them? Oh, what an interesting question. Um, the, the stress of capture is, is so profound that, again, these, these, the monkeys can't keep up with it. I, you, you, you brought up a, a point that let me just, I want to pivot just for a second. The other thing that, that's happening, so when the role that these animals have in the wild is one that, that folks are not talking about. You know, macaques, monkeys in general, are keystone species, which means that they play an extremely important role in the ecology of the forest. Um, Whether it's as they're dispersing seeds, as they're moving along in foresting, whether they're prey for, for other animals. But they also, they play a really important role in things like the mosquitoes and the, the ticks and, and these other types of bugs when the monkeys are in the forest, the mosquitoes feed on them. When you take out that monkey from the forest, when you deplete them, which is what's happening in Asia now, there we have entire countries where we're no longer seeing long-tailed macaques. But when you remove that monkey from the forest, the mosquitoes kind of look around and they're like, huh, I'm hungry. I need someone to feed on. Oh, you're a human? You know what? I'll, I'll bite you. you. You will provide me with a blood meal. And we've seen the consequences of this a few years ago, actually uh, about 15 years ago. One of the things that I was studying was how a new ma- malaria that had been kind of concentrated in macaques started spilling over into the human population. And in the end, we concluded it was because, you know, the macaques were being removed from the, vi- the environment and the mosquitoes had to look for somebody else to eat, to feed on, and humans were the ones. So it, it gives you a little bit of insight into how critical these monkeys are in these environments. And we actually, we don't know, Tom, whether or not it, it is some, is there something that they're eating in the wild that um, boosts their immune system? Perhaps. They have an incredibly varied diet in the wild. These, you know, macaques will feed on 20, 30 different types of food throughout the day. In the laboratory, they get a monkey biscuit. They get 10 monkey biscuits or 20 monkey biscuits, depend on, on how big they are. That's what they're eating every day. It just seems like um, it, there would be a search in the wild, in their food, uh, um, in, in the variety of foods that they have access to and consume, that there would be some study going on to see if there were some naturally occurring immunizing agents. 
And you're right, there there should be. But that would require funding for that. And the primate experimentation industry sucks up an astonishing amount of research dollars, taxpayer dollars. And so other important alternatives, different ways of, of finding cures and, and treatments for human disease actually go unfunded. You know, like the the tissue, um, the 3D tissue printing, the developing of organs on a chip. All this research is going underfunded while this monkey or this money is being poured into monkey experimentation. Money that could be used to have teams out there looking at, you know, what does the forest provide these animals? It keeps them so healthy, so vigorous when they're in their, their natural habitat. Yeah. But sure. that's gonna require people changing the way demanding that we spend our research dollars differently. Should funding um, be results-driven or outcome-driven, or is that risking uh, exploration too much? We're in the 21st century, you know, and it's, I, I think that we, our technology has developed so rapidly in the last decade. And we, we now, we know the things that work. And boy, do we know the things that don't work. We know that research on animals does not translate to humans. 95% of, of the drugs and treatments that we developed in animals fail in humans. And so the, what we need, what the, what the public is paying for, what the public should be paying for, it's research that translates into effective treatments for humans. And as we continue to rely upon these, these archaic animal models, we continue to slow down and to not get those treatments out there. You know, again, we don't have vaccines for Alzheimer's or HIV, and we've been promised those. By, we've been told that if we just continue to experiment on animals, if we just continue to do this basic research on animals, that we'll get those so that, you know, your friends, your families, your, your, your aunts, your uncles can get the treatments that they need. That's not happening. And that's because the research has not been focused on translatable or translation into effective human treatment. But I think a lot of people that are supplying the funding from John Q. Public to various uh, uh, foundations and, and other philanthropic organizations are, are reluctant to require results for their investment of dollars um, because they've been told and convinced that um, research doesn't have a roadmap. Oh, um, well, we had a really clear roadmap with the... But do, do you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm expressing it quite right, Lisa, but do you know what I mean? The idea that we don't know the answers, that's why we're looking? That's why we keep looking. Um, I, 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 I see where you're going with that, and I, I think that... That argument is driven by people who have made their career in very vigorous, lucrative, robust careers on this idea of 
just give me more animals, give me more monkeys or money, and you know let me let me tease apart but you know down to the the basic basic research fundamental research and to that i say you had your time you you've had your years you've had your money and we now know that we actually we are demanding and the public is really standing up and saying this is the whole arpa h this whole notion that you know nih this basic research institute has not delivered you know that 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 argument's being had in Congress. It's being, you know, had around the the dinner tables. NIH has not delivered the treatment that people have demanded. And some folks may say, "Yeah, well, we're about basic research." No, your job, using my taxpayer money, is to give me results. And ARPA-H, this kind of you know the the DARPA model of see the problem fix the problem. Don't go screwing around here and, you know, tinker with this and tinker with that and, oh, give me a different color monkey or, oh, actually, I'd like four more mice to see what's, what's going on here. No. The answer is see it, take the facts that we know, take the basic information we, we have and move on and, and generate a result. Wouldn't, and I think, wouldn't the, the, the people that are doing the research... Um, wouldn't they be attracted to new paths to the things they're looking for? I, I mean, it seems like natural curiosity <laughs> would say, you know, we've been working on what we've been working on, and we don't really seem to be getting any answers. But look at this promising methodology over here with new technology. Um, wouldn't wouldn't there be a natural progression out of what's being done into the things that you're suggesting should be done more? Scientists are the most conservative folks <laughs> that you will ever come across. I think you're and the first person I've ever heard say that, as true as it may be and as it sounds. It, 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 it just because it's not it's not rewarded curiosity kind of going off the, the path that is not rewarded in science and it's because so much interest and I'm, I'm going to go back to just talking about the 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 monkey world the monkey uh, biomedical yeah. world it's not you're not rewarded for looking for something new you're rewarded for making your question so very, very tiny, so very, very focused, so very, very narrow. One, because you've got to carve out a niche in the, 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 the battle for, for funding. Two, because you want to, <laughs> you set up your career, you were trained in someone else's lab, this is the way you've always seen it done. This is all you know. And so... To, to step out and to do something novel is so dangerous. It's, it's scary. And with, with monkeys in particular, it is so astonishingly expensive that it's simply it's not happening that way. And then there's all the, the infrastructure that, that's built into it. So these seven national primate research centers that are distributed around the country, these are big facilities. They are, you know, it has taken so much money to build them. To, to put all the caging in, to, to get all the, the, 
the air work, you know, the, the HVAC stuff, the cage washer, the all the, the nuts and bolts of that infrastructure is there. And it's rigid and it's literally bolted to the wall. And so even if you even if you know that the worst possible thing that you can do to a monkey is to take away its infant. You're still going to do that because that's the way the system is set up. That's the way your mentor did it. That's the way, you know, everyone in the papers that you that you read in and the journals that you publish in, that's the way they do it. And even if you know in your gut that you'd have a better um, result if that infant stayed with their mom and actually grew up with mom and developed a microbiome that was associated with nursing from mom and had more room to move in and actually even better if it if that infant grew up with mom and auntie and great grandma and, and great auntie because that's the way they, they should be growing up that's how they grow up in the wild there is nothing in this system that allows you to do that the inertia the 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 consequences for doing something different means that your grant doesn't get funded, your paper doesn't get published, your lab goes, you start losing postdocs, undergraduates aren't attracted to it, and the next thing you know, you're sitting and you're just not, your career is done. Scientists don't, particularly animal scientists. That's that's rock the boat. Fascinating and puzzling to me because, you know, I live um, near Flint, Michigan, and and in Detroit mm-hmm. and Flint and this this whole region, um, we've seen over the last three or four decades the the complete abandonment of huge factory complexes driven by a natural free market tendency to go in new directions and to you know how do you how do you recreate that phenomenon in the scientific world and and in particular in the uh, the the bio research world of uh, primates you cut off the funding you cut off the money and that and because once you turn that money off, people will start dropping out of the field. They'll, they'll move into to other new fields, new emerging fields. The, the graduate students will realize this is a dead end. It's a dead end intellectually, scientifically, a dead end financially. And they're going to start pivoting. And that's the key, is that we get this, this generation of, of young scientists who are coming up who are more plastic, who are more flexible. And we give them the resources, and we, we demand that the National Institutes of Health do that as well. And so I think what I would say is, you know, this is how your readers could help us. You know, going to PETA.org forward slash NPRC, look at the Activist Center. Actually, with a couple of clicks of a button, you can actually let NIH know, take this money, put it towards human-relevant research. Put it towards this explosion of new ideas. That's where that's where we're going to get change and real improvements in human health. My guest is uh, Dr. Lisa Jones Engel, PETA's senior science advisor on primate experimentation. Lisa, we're we're out of time, but it's been a real pleasure talking with you. And uh, um, I, I guess I'll just say, keep up the good work. 
Thank you very much. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Talking with um, Dr. Lisa Jones-Engel from PETA about um, federally funded primate laboratories and uh, PETA's uh, efforts to see them close and, and see the money move into other kinds of uh, research. With that, we'll uh, take a short break. We've got more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead. I remember the night Mom was pounding on her drums. She called me to her side. She said, son, you're growing up. Pretty soon you're going to drive. And Daddy heard the commotion and came came in tap dancing, playing his six-string. And they both looked at me and they said, Son, before you get behind the wheel of a car, you listen to me. If you're texting while you steer, don't drive. If you've been drinking beer, don't drive. If you're talking on the phone, don't drive. If your tires are bald and it's starting to snow, don't drive. If your foot can't reach the pedal, don't drive. If you're wearing no apparel, don't try. No one understands your diction. Don't try. Don't speed, don't read, don't breathe, don't tweet, don't shave, don't rave, don't wave, don't eat. And don't put no makeup on or shave. You know you're not supposed to do that. If you gotta do something you're not supposed to do, you can go ahead and step on my blue suede shoes. Ah, go ahead and scuff them up. If you're driving with your knees, don't drive. If while you roll, you eat, don't drive. If you don't know how to drive, don't drive. If you've been psychedelicized, don't drive. If you're kissing on your boo, don't drive. If the boo's kissing on you, don't drive. If you've been drinking at a bar, don't drive. If there's guns in the car, don't drive. Don't groom, don't shave, don't. In your ears or rummage through your purse. Ugh. Don't do that. Huh. If you won't do something you're not supposed to do, you can go ahead and talk on my food, man. Chew. Go ahead, I don't care. Watch me tear. If you feel like a nap, don't try. If there's a pooch on your lap, oh, it's dangerous and creepy. If you're feeling really wired, if your license is expired, don't you drive uh, around the town. You gotta do something you're not supposed to do. Step on my blues way shoes, scuff them up. Then go ahead and pull on my Fu Man shoe. Yeah. If you wanna do something, you wanna do something that's good. If you're feeling like any of that stuff, don't drive. Make sure you got a clear head. Ow! Ugh. Hey! This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. 
and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Flipflip Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital, go to a local symphony concert, visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. 
These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. Oh, I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Okay, okay, the story is about a minister. His name is Reverend Leroy. <laughs> Leroy was pastor of the church of the What's Happening Now. I mean, Leroy wasn't the type of guy who would tell you what happened a long time ago. Or what's going to happen in the future. When you go to Leroy's place, he'll tell you what's happening now. <laughs> uh, the members... The members of the congregation dug Reverend Leroy so much that they got together and chipped in, all of them chipped in, and they built Rev a new tabernacle. Well, it was really a storefront, but they renovated it. <laughs> Changed the name from Barbecue Place to Tabernacle. <laughs> Put a big sign on the front. Church of the What's Happening Now, pastored by Reverend Leroy. Now, it was the first day of the service The day of the first service at the new tabernacle It's early Sunday morning Down the road, on a path Leading through the zoo Comes Reverend Leroy Now, this Sunday morning, the rain is falling down Brothers and sisters the rain was falling down, and the wind was blowing. And into the pouring down wind and the rain came Reverend Leroy. As he walked through the zoo, standing there in a cage behind the bars, looking out between the bars, it's a gorilla. <laughs> On the front of the cage where it has the name of the animal, it said Gorilla. G O, it said Beware of the G O Rilla. That's Gorilla. Beware means watch out. Watch out for the Gorilla. Standing there, leaning on the cage, digging out between the bars. Rev thinks that the gorilla is a man in jail who had his civil rights violated. <laughs> Rev stops in front of the cage. He says, uh, said brother, said brother, why? Why have they got you behind those bars? Said brother, whatever they said you did, 
You didn't do it. <laughs> then you didn't do it. He said, because I know an innocent face when I see one. <laughs> that you didn't do it, brother. He said, I know. He said, look, just look at the hair hanging down in your nasty face. <laughs> he said, brother, they won't even let you wash your nasty face. Said, look. Said, they've even got you drinking out of a trough. Said, and brother, a man has to stoop pretty low to drink from a trough. <laughs> said, well, we're going to do something about this. Said, we're going to get the members. Said, I'm going right down to the tabernacle, and I'm going to get the members to get together. Said, and we're going to send a petition to Washington. Said, we're going to do something. He said, brother. Said, all I got is one dollar, a raincoat, and a pack of chewing gum. Said, but you can have that. Said, I'm going to give that to you. He walked over, dropped the raincoat, and extended his hand, which the gorilla clasped gently. Rep said, uh, brother, I'm going to see you in a little while. And he went to pull back, and he felt the gorilla tighten up. <laughs> the pain shot up his arm. <laughs> down his back. <laughs> Rev said, uh, brother, I told you that I would see you in a little while. Then Rev heard his spine snap. <laughs> Rev said, brother, didn't I say I would see you in a little while? And the gorilla snatched him inside the cave. He twitched the ball. <laughs> Rev threw that small opening in the ball. Broke both shoulder blades, getting them in there. <laughs> and he cut Rev's head in one paw, and he rained blows upon him with a 75-pound mass of hair-covered nut. <laughs> <laughs> the breeder said, brother, said, wait a minute. Said, hold it. And the gorilla snatched him by the neck. The gorilla had a handful of the man's neck. <laughs> A handful of neck doesn't leave too much neck. <laughs> Has anybody ever had a handful of your neck? <laughs> the gorilla took him by the neck and he beat him off both sides of the cave. Then he slammed him around and slammed him down and jumped up and down and picked him up and flung him out between the bars. Rev got up. <laughs>
little for a while So I'll be staying here inside It's too dangerous out in the world I'll see you on the other side When I'm in my quarantine In my little place too high My heart is aching and I'm missing you it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner program. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow to kick off April with uh, April Fool's Day and uh, some fun things to talk about tomorrow for sure. But thanks to all of the guests today, Dr. Lisa Jones-Angle from PETA talking about Primate Labs and talking about the neutrality trap with authors uh, Bernie Mayer and uh, Jackie Font-Guzman. In the uh, second hour of our three-hour tour, we started out today with an award-winning, critically acclaimed book about a woman's life with her war hero husband. It was called um, My Pilot, A Story of War, Love, ALS by Sarah Jane Geary. And uh, anyway, thanks for uh, tuning in. And that's Smoking George Winters tickling the ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. 
This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.